0: Well, after listening to the Passion, it's a fearful thing for someone like myself to try to stand up and say anything more. The words of the Bible are so powerful and they, they speak for themselves. But just uh, here's, here's one thought. When I reflect upon the sacred scriptures and how they're written, and this is especially clear, I think, in the account of Christ's Passion we see how they recount this drama as it were from the outside in a very kind of external manner. And what I mean by that is it just says, Jesus did this and then this and then this is what they did to him. Not much even of his words are recounted. Okay, there's not these long discourses. It's very brief what he says. And the narrator when he speaks about the events, does not try to get inside Jesus' head. He's not telling you how Jesus feels. There's no abundance of details about the crucifixion. Nothing like that. It's a very modest, terse account of the facts of what was... Done of what was said. And it, in, a, in a very modest way, it leaves the mystery of it all unspoken. Because to try to get behind the facts and to get to the heart of the mystery of the meaning of everything we just heard would be to do it a disservice. To even attempt to put it into words would be to trivialize it and to fall short of really grasping the significance, the awesomeness, the holiness, the importance, the world-shattering importance of what's going on in in this event, in these series of events. And this kind of modesty and reserve that we see in sacred scripture is a great contrast to our contemporary culture that wants to know all, all the gory details. Now I think probably a lot of us when we came in today what was the first thing that we noticed? What was the first thing? What's kind of obvious about the physical environment? Uh, yeah, all these these, these coverings. Okay. Our statues are covered, our crosses are covered, they're veils, they're veiled. And sacred scripture is like a veil. It hides behind the facts a mystery that is so profound that we'd be doing, it would have been a disservice to try to even articulate it. And our faith is really all about veils. Our our holy religion includes a lot of veils. We've got chalice veil, tabernacle veil. A lot of things are covered up. We look at how the statue, well she's covered up now, but how the Blessed Mother dresses, you know, how she's very much veiled. And again, in contrast to our contemporary culture, I think of the, you know, uh, I was a, when I was a kid, I worked for my dad in a drugstore, and um I would be responsible for stacking the magazines and ordering the the different magazines and newspapers, and I can remember the inquirer, you know, all the lurid details getting in behind the scenes, you know. the Inquiring minds want to know. Tell me what's behind things. Tell me what's hidden, okay. We want immediate gratification. We don't want anything mediating between our desire and its attainment. We want it now, and uh, we as Christians are influenced, of course, by this culture. You know, if someone doesn't return my email that day, I get, start getting impatient. Come on, we like text messaging because you get you can access someone instantaneously, <laughs> and you expect them to drop whatever they're doing and text you back. We like that. We want immediacy, and that's not how the scriptures are written, and that's not the nature of our faith. This life, in general, is a veil. And it covers the face of God. We walk by faith in this life. And only in the world to come will we see clearly. And so, God asks of us patience. He asks of us humility, reserve, respect. To acknowledge the nature of the veil that we must live with in this life. We want everything clear. We want everything answered now. That's just not how it is. Because God knows if He were to pull back the veil, we couldn't handle it. It'd be too much for us. And we are to spend our entire life and really only just begin to appreciate the depth of the mystery of our religion. And of what Christ Jesus has done for us in his passion. And so, my brothers and sisters, I encourage you to journey in this week. This week is a veil, it's a veil. We journey with Jesus. And I encourage us to journey with him liturgically. Come to daily Mass. Daily Mass, the betrayal of Judas is recounted. Come to the Holy Thursday Mass in the evening here at St. John's, the Last Supper is recounted the washing of the feet, so forth and so on. We journey with Jesus in his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane that Thursday night. We're going to have a very nice altar of reserve set up right here with lots of flowers and candles, and we have people who signed up ahead of time to adore Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, to spend time with him in his suffering and his sorrow, to offer him some consolation, As he takes upon himself the sins of the world to be with him in that odyssey of suffering that he undergoes. And so we're going to be here from eight o'clock to midnight. Come and join us. And then on Holy, I'm, I'm sorry, on Good Friday, please come. The veil is going to start to be taken away on Good Friday. So part of the ritual of Good Friday is the cross will be elevated And it will be veiled and there will be three stages to the ritual. And the first stage is the unveiling of the top part of the cross. And the second stage is the unveiling of the right arm of the cross. And then the third stage is the unveiling of the cross. And we will see the instrument of Christ's humiliation, which is also the instrument of his glory. How awesome and how mysterious of a combination is that? The very thing that was his humiliation was also his glorification. And did you notice today, in our liturgy today, both of those elements are mixed in a very mysterious and powerful manner. When we came in, we were exalting. We were rejoicing. It was triumphant. It was glorious. And then suddenly by the time we get to our psalm, we're singing, My God. minor chords, which I can't reproduce with my voice right now, these minor chords, and then we are reduced to utter silence as we listen to the heart-rending passion of Christ. And at the very end of the account of the passion, Jesus dies, and we're left with him in his tomb, in silence. But what happens? Did anybody hear what happened at the end of that account of the passion? the veil of the temple was torn in two. And so it's through Jesus' death that the veil is taken away. And then on the Easter vigil, all the veils will be removed from the statues and we will be readmitted to the communion of the saints. It is through the death and the resurrection of Christ that we are able to enter into this holy company that we are able to enter into heaven. But we need to have humility and reverence and respect before the veil. And if you notice in the beginning, what I I really appreciated is the fact that we have all the kids with us in our our, uh, procession. And we sung about how the lips of children are able to recognize who Jesus is. It's the prideful, who when they looked at a veil just saw a veil. But it's the child who when they looked at the veil saw beyond it. And saw the mystery and the reality of what's behind it. We don't like in our contemporary culture veils. We like everything immediate here and now. But you know who actually appreciates veils? Children. Babies in fact. They really like veils. Ever played peekaboo? They have an amazing ability to appreciate the wonder and the awe and the mystery that is the human face. They, better than adults, see the image of God reflected in the human face. And they're in awe of it. And when you take it away, and then you bring it back into the purview of their vision, they love it. They think it's the best thing ever. They're able to appreciate the mystery and the fact that hiding the mystery makes it all the more mysterious and beautiful and wonderful. So my brothers and sisters, journey with us today, this Holy Week, as we journey through this world of the veil, and as we see it lifted on Easter Vigil and on Easter Sunday.